Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. On today's podcast, I sit down with Captain Zach of Marsh Madness Charters in the Cape Charles, Virginia area. He is the only guide that pulls the shallow water flats of the eastern shore of Virginia. The eastern shore of Virginia is one of the most overlooked estuaries for sight fishing shallow water redfish, but it is arguably the best in the country. Y'all will not want to miss this episode. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast as well as some other video content that you can't find on YouTube. This weekend is the first ever Eastern Current Online Angler Series Redfish Tournament. If you haven't signed up and want to fish, please sign up this week. It's going to be a great time and we're hoping for a good turnout. Remember, you can fish from the southern coast of Georgia all the way to the northern coast of Virginia. Please follow the link in the show notes to visit the registration page and get a full list of the rules. Hope to see y'all out at the tournament. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for Big Reds, Cobia, Tarpon, and Jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their seven foot medium light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. What's going on, Zach? Thanks for jumping on the podcast with me. Excited to talk with you about an area that is very intriguing to myself and, and very untapped from a from a sight fishing, fly fishing, uh, really shallow water, light tackle fishing realm. Um, once you get north of really the southern part of North Carolina up into the Pamlico, there's just a lot of untapped shallow water fishing. But Zach is uh, is a fishing guide up in uh, up in Eastern Shore of Virginia. Man, thanks for jumping on and chatting with me. Hey man, excited to be here. I'm glad for you to have me on. Uh, glad to talk about my fishery a little bit here. Not my fishery, but where I fish. Been here about 20 years and excited to share a little bit what I've learned, I guess. Definitely, man. I think um, you and I have been kicking this around for like two years probably. <laughs> yeah, doing, we had one where the audio didn't work, I don't think. I yep. think that's what happened. But yep. yeah, we're, so. we're, we're making it happen now. I've simplified. Well, I've I've upgraded my system, but I used to try to do video too. Uh, and, and do it through a different system. And it was just very, it was awesome when it worked right, but it didn't work right a lot of times. So it didn't, uh, it didn't help for, for good quality, but this is, this is, should be, uh, nice and clear for everybody. But, but yeah, so why don't we start out Zach by just kind of telling everybody your backstory, 
uh, how you, where you are, uh, where you fish, and kind of how, how you've come to where you are in, in your fishing uh, life, if you will. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, I've been on the eastern shore a little over 20 years now. Um, I started fishing with my father here when I was a little kid. Uh, we, My dad's from Virginia Beach area. I used to come over here as a kid, and we'd fish the bay and stuff. And I fished the bay a lot when I first moved here. Uh, my dad had a 23-foot center console. We fished that quite a bit. Uh, I started really liking the inshore fishery, and I bought a flat skiff. I don't know, my first one maybe a dozen or so years ago, maybe 14 years ago, and I was literally the only person over here with a flat skiff yeah. that was full-time. And I was a 16-foot flat skiff that I started fishing mostly seaside. And if you're familiar with the eastern shore, there's a bay side, which is to our west, and a seaside, which is to your east. And the east is like a filled with a bunch of marshes, flats, uh, barrier islands. It's it's pretty neat. It's very natural. There's no inhabitants really over there. I mean, there's a couple little fish houses or fit, like you would say, like on stilts, but there's very little of that. Once you right. leave some of those boat ramps on the seaside is what they call it. Uh, it's, it's, you're all alone out there. It's a pretty neat feeling. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. Yeah. It's, it's, pretty neat and i started with the flat skiff i mean honestly i wasn't doing much fly fishing in the beginning um i grew up fly fishing a lot too growing up but i did mostly spin tackle just to try to find the fish because i mean when i first moved here no one would help you really find tell you anything about where any fish were you had to go do it yourself right and, uh, it took me quite a few years to even figure out a few fishing spots and it grew from there um bought a newer flat skiff in 2018 a little bigger one and i started guiding right when i bought that i that never i didn't guide really before that so i started taking parties in 2018 and and here we are today i, I take quite a few uh, it's like my second full-time job i guess you would say i'm also <laughs> a golf pro so if you want to do that as well i do that here so it's pretty neat um i love it uh, I could, it's i've learned a lot out here it has many, many different, I don't know how you say it. it's, uh, there's a lot of different opportunities and what you, you figure out what you like and you do a lot of it. I, I've kind of honed in where I really love fish and redfish and I get a lot of opportunity up here and it's a great thing for sight fishing around here. There's a plenty of fish that are not very heavily pressured that you, I mean, there's a lot of area that nobody goes so you don't they don't see a lot of pressure and you, you get a lot of good shots at them it's really interesting i think what's so unique about where you are is one just that section of coastline with the Ch mouth of the chesapeake bay and then that whole interior marsh system that is oceanside um and just the lack of a, a of a congested city or or a large mass of people close by i mean you've got virginia beach but it's still a hike to get across the bay bridge tunnel and come up there and put a boat in and go fish and, and fish it well and learn it. Uh, and I, I've spent some time up there in Cape Charles Cobia fishing and, and bull red fishing and never the shallow water stuff, but uh, it's just such a cool area. I mean, what a unique area to be, you know, kind of pioneering that flats fishing world. And, and y'all have a lot of beautiful bottom up there, clear water, a lot of eelgrass, a lot of oyster is is there kind of a, something in particular that you feel like holds those redfish? Well, actually, before that, is is it a year-round fishery for those redfish? 
certain years it is. Uh, if the winter gets really cold, you're you're going to have a really hard time finding them. Yeah. Uh, this time of year, you're going to find them kind of sitting in the sun. Usually, the best shot is going to be midday, low tide, sitting in the sun up against the up against some grass. That's really yeah. where you're going to find. Them. Yeah, That's, for sure. You give it a couple more weeks, you'll start. I'll see them really schooled up. Some of those uh, migratory style fish there. You can go out there. You can find several hundred fish and a big swirling tornado. Sometimes I, yeah. I mean, I found that a couple of years ago. With my son, and it was unreal. There was several hundred fish just swirling in a tornado. Yeah. You could have thrown anything in there and just hooked up every single rod. So yeah, it, it it's interesting. Like it, this time of year, you could go out there and not find them, or you go out there and find them, and you 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 get a big payday. It's, it's yeah kind of hit and miss but once you get a little more warmer you'll start getting them it'll be a lot easier to find them uh and in the summertime they kind of get into a pattern where they break off off of those schools up here at least and you're going to find them in twos and threes mostly is what i find them in uh cruising together and then those really bigger fish you'll find them one or two at a time um and i get all ranges of sizes i get that ask all the time those under slot in slot and way over slot fish go all through that marsh seaside area. That's awesome. They don't feel like you're only going to catch an 18 or 16 inch fish. I mean, I, I've caught some up there and right at the 42, 40 some inch mark on fly rod in the back back there. Yeah. And I've seen them bigger than that. I've never able to actually hook anything. I think 42 is the biggest one I've hooked on fly in the back. Uh, like when I mean in the back, I'm talking like in the Barry Island seaside area. I caught one, almost 50 inches out of, near the bridge with a sinking line once, but yeah. that, that, that's not the same thing. Right, right. So, <laughs> so, so those big but, fish in that marsh system, are, are if you've got good conditions, are you typically going to see, you know, 40-inch fish every day out there, or is that kind of like a once-a-week thing or a few times a summer? What does is, what is that kind of trickle down to? There's a few weeks in the summer that I've got marked that I've got certain areas, they're almost always there. Right. Uh, it, it's like you like you check it like you can check this week off you go to this spot and the weathers and the conditions are correct you're going to find them it's pretty neat that's awesome uh, it's weird though because it's you give it a you miss it by a week before or after it like the conditions change a little bit the weather the temperature gets a little too hot or a little too cold it's they'll be out in the bay after that like i find them Without saying too much, it's in that early summertime you'll see those bigger fish come in. And then once yeah. the water gets even hotter, they move out into the bay. Then you've got that slot-sized fish in that marsh area for the most part. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. They're probably coming in there for the food, too. It's like that food's probably th- that's wintered over the mullet and, and bait and whatnot early before all the finger mullet and menhaden get up in there later, maybe. I'm talking about You're stuff exactly I don't really right, know. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So most of the year I fish a crab pattern. Uh, during that big fish time, I usually fish a bait fish pattern on my flies. Gotcha. Uh, so it, it, I change that up. I go to a bigger hook, and it usually works pretty well. Yeah, that's um, incredible. That's cool, man. That, I mean, most just of the a, time I'm – Sorry, what were we saying? Most of the time I'm fishing those guys that's under four foot of water as well. Yeah. I'm not fishing like – big drops but i am using mostly redfish line yeah uh like a partial sinking tip at the end i i, I try to get a little weight i like a heavier fly to get down pretty quick yep 
actually, when I use the crab patterns, I use a lot of lead heads actually dragging the mud, making mud come up as I pull the fly, fly back. So yeah, it just depends on what time of year and what size fish. And I actually carry in that spring, early, I mean, that, that's or late spring, early summer, I'm carrying a whole bunch of different fly rods on the boat from like size six to 10. So, I mean, it's, it's a big gamut I'm carrying on that boat. That's awesome. Have you, do you ever, I know it's such a famous area there for Cobia. Do you ever see any of them that have slid into those inshore bays up there? The only ones I've seen on seaside that, I mean, I've seen while fishing have been pretty small. Gotcha. Uh, Cobia wise. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. And people always ask me about black drum as well. And I only see those in smaller size on the flats as well. I don't see the bigger size ones of those on the flats back there. So I know that happens in other places that that doesn't, that I've seen happen that often, but they will hang out. Like if there's a drop off, if you want to on seaside, like if there's a drop off from a flat to a channel, uh-huh. they will hang out there. You can get lucky like that. But if you're sight fishing, I have very rarely seen any bigger, excuse me, bigger size black drum. Okay. Gotcha. Does that make sense? No, that totally yeah. makes sense. Now, do you feel like the same type of sight fishing can be replicated on the bay side and some of the sandier stuff over there, or do you think it really is kind of locked into where you are on the on the um, ocean it, side? It, it definitely can be done on the bay side as well. There's a bunch of creeks, like plantation hungers. They're, they're much more traveled in traffic than the areas that I fish. Gotcha. So I usually stick to my my side where I've got plenty of room to operate. I've, For sure. I mean, there's several days. I I mean, I'll go out there, take a party out there. We won't see another soul until I come back to the dock. Yeah. I mean, that's literal. That's kind of the way I like it. Oh, I mean, um, why would you not, as a fisherman, to, to have something to yeah. yourself? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll see somebody working an oyster bed or something like that, or but or a clam bed, but other than that, you really don't see very much. Yeah. It's pretty neat. So what does an average day in the summer look like, sight fishing for redfish up there? Like, you know, let's say peak season, when you're really, oh. when you feel like they're there, like how many shots are you getting? Are the fish all pretty cooperative? What does a day of on the water look like? Somewhere, if it gets really hot, they get a little picky on what they take. But if you're in that really, that, that, sweet spot of water temperature right before it gets too hot and they're really active it's pretty fun like a low tide i'm going to be fishing potholes on a flat like sight fishing potholes like they're working through a flat or i'm going to be fishing an edge of a grass marsh and they're going to be working their the edge right there uh yeah that i'll pull usually against the tide is what i usually do i know that's a lot harder on you but that way you can ca- it, it makes the presentation a lot better when you're pulling the fly back with the current For it sure. makes it look a lot better so For sure the nice thing is you can stop a, like, a pulling skiff really easily like that too like if you get up on fish you need to stop and spin the boat or anything like that it's easier when you're going into the current so often i'll yeah, drift I, into the I, fish when i'm going down current yeah <laughs> and i'm not saying i don't ever use my trolling motor i do have a trolling motor on there you'll see me do that uh, especially if the tide's really ripping or if I want to hold the boat, I'll use the trolling motor sometimes. But if they're spooky, I'm usually using the pole to move the boat around. Uh, it's nice like that. I mean, it, I, my boat is not, it's a 18 and a half foot flat skiffs. I mean, we're talking still around 
eight inches of water with a full load in there yeah. ish. So, I mean, we're not talking super skinny like my first one that I had, but I find that that's plenty there. Um, and then when I go to a, a full high tide, I'm going to fish literally in the grass. Uh, they're going to be all in the back. A lot of the, a lot of the time, especially if you're going to just specifically target redfish, you're going to have to cast your fly up into the grass, like in where it kind of gets a little sparse and yep. like, you'll see them moving through there. It's, those are harder to get out of the grass, but I mean, it's, it's a pretty neat hookup. Um, I prefer low tide, but some people love that high tide fish. I mean, it's, 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 you lose a few, but you don't lose, I mean, you catch more than you lose, but it's still, you're going to be tying a lot of leaders on. Right. Um, right. But if you, to me, like it, it bodes more well, if you're going to be that spin guy, you can use like a popping cork and something in that high or like a, uh, one of those little redfish magic strike king things. Oh, yeah. The spinner like, baits yeah, and the gold spoons, man. Spinner those bait, are awesome in that Yeah. Glass. Those are often like that kind of scenario. You, it's hard to beat those guys. You're going to catch so many fish using that kind of a setup. That's that high tide. Yeah. So it's not much different. You probably catch them in other places, but you just kind of got to cruise around and look at different spots, uh, especially in that high tide thing. You I mean, you could be fishing one marsh and then a hundred feet down there's 75 fish but you just got to kind of keep looking right exactly it is funny how they can seem so random but then the more time you spend with them you're like these are creatures of habit like the same water temps the same times of year they're showing up in the same places or similar places now how tidal is that coastal side of of the eastern shore that you're fishing it's it can move a lot i mean there are certain days where it's six foot mostly like in that four foot range yeah um, do you get flood tides up there, like up in the grass, where you get the fish up there tailing in the grass? Yeah, there is. I, we get that for sure. And there's some days where I've actually had to launch my boat in the parking lot at the ramp that I use, Kurt. I mean, wow. I literally had to walk it walk it back down to the ramp. I pushed it off literally in the parking lot before. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> That's funny. Every, all the watermen are waiting to put their big bigger skiffs out and i'll literally just slide it off the back right there in the parking lot and put walk it down there into the slot there then jump in and go (laughs) (laughs) so the uh the average tide though is is your standard kind of north carolina virginia four or five foot tide tide swing that you got yeah gotcha exactly yeah and i find that redfish at least the way i fish it or it's better at the end of or beginning of it, not during mid tide is usually my, the low, the worst part of the bite for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's real. I, to me, they like less water moving than other fish. Uh, so like when we're doing, when I do say stripers, they, you want to do that as a, the hardest tide you can push and you want to find little eddies, like little, little changes of rips and current and things like that. Uh, like mouths of creeks and things moving, that that's where you want to target those guys. So will those like get on that side fish, as well? Yeah, yeah, I nice. catch plenty, but they're going to be, most of the ones I catch are in that 20-inch range. Or you're not going to get huge those guys back in there. Yeah. Uh, they're schooly size. It, it's still a lot of fun. You can get into those and catch those all day long if you get the right day, right tide. and But, it's it's a fun fish. Those are like wintertime, springtime. That's kind of a, a good one to find, especially when the water's moving good. Find the mouth of a creek, 
to and then if they don't catch one there, go to the next little mouth or little little drain. So like a little flat drains off into a little creek. You'd be amazed how many fish hold there, like especially striper wise. Yeah. That sounds a lot like yeah. kind of where we're targeting and finding our speckled trout back home here, uh, at least in our tidal areas, maybe not our, our non-tidal estuaries, but in our tidal areas where, where there's dra- where there's going to be bait flushing. They're going to sit there and use that current as a conveyor belt to bring that bait to them uh, quite often. So it's it's cool to, to find fish that, that are doing that. And redfish will do it, but it doesn't seem like they do it quite as much. Like they don't want to really fight heavy current. I've seen them in little small creeks where it's trickling and, and they'll use that when the shrimp are kind of draining out of something or whatnot. But it's, it is definitely uh, not as much as like a striper or speckled trout. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Now, what would you say the main, or, or take me through what you would say the forage is for these slot redfish throughout the, your, the seasons that you're targeting them? Does it change, or is it kind of so, consistent throughout the season? So, if I'm looking for just the slot ones, yeah, I'll fish a crab pattern all day long on my fly rods. Okay. If I'm taking out a spin guide, like a group spin fishing, I love a pop and cork and even one of those little mud minnows. Yeah. I love doing that. That's really easy. Um, you can even, if you want to get real crazy and try to catch something bigger, you can crush up some crab if you wanted to do it like that. Or you could just do the simple jig head and the grub, yep. like a gulp or something. That all works really well. Those spinner baits work great all year, here at least, uh, if you're doing spin tackle. Uh, I always like natural looking colors too, but there is some times where they won't take and they want something bright and crazy. I'll change yeah. that out with the fly too, even with spin tackle, depending on what I'm doing, but most of the time I fish a lot of natural colors. Um, even whether I'm fly fishing or if I'm doing uh, spin tackle. So, do you tie most of your flies? A, I tie almost all of them. Nice. Um, I do get a few from a friend of mine in Florida for special things that I do. Special little one-off flies eyes uh, i don't know if you see him on instagram his flats guy he's really good at yeah yeah, yeah. Have seen one yeah he he's pretty darn good at what he does so i get quite a few things from him from time to time but for the most part i tie most of my flies 
I would say almost all. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's uh, yeah. uh, one of the cool parts of, of fly fishing, and it's it's so much more a part of the fly fishing world than the light tackle world is creating your flies, creating what you're catching the fish on. It, it, it's like a whole new way to interact with the process, if you will, and, and very fun, and it can definitely be a rabbit hole and a, a great spot to throw a lot of money at. <laughs> it, it, you, can, you, can, you can go crazy on that stuff if you want to. You really can. Um, it's like, oh, I'm going to save money and tie flies, but you're really not saving much. No, you're much better to call somebody up and say, I need 50 flies or 25 <laughs> right, flies. Right. Especially in the saltwater <laughs> world where you can get away, you can fish a whole season on like 15 flies if, if you really wanted to, but uh, at least you for could, redfish. Yeah. At least for redfish. Yeah, yeah. And I, I use the same pattern with like four different colors is what I usually yeah. do for the most of the time. Uh, my crab pattern that I use, I, I usually do four different colors. <laughs> I've got a whole box the same fly in four different colors <laughs> hey when you know what works why change it up do you change the weight up on them yeah. much too or or, or like different i do on gotcha there's some like if it's really a low tide i'll use one with without any lead eyes and then yeah. i'll use some with some little heavier than like a hard current i'll use one with pretty heavy lead eyes yeah. so it just depends like i'll use different fly rods two different like lines too i'll use some of them even though I'm fishing three or four feet of water, I use kind of a, a intermediate line just to kind of get it down quick. Yeah. Which I know that doesn't sound right, but I do. If you pull it fast enough, it works fine. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's it's cool how I love how, I mean, I've, t- I've had so many people on this podcast and talked to tons of different people that do the same thing very differently. <laughs> and it's, it's cool to <laughs> see how people kind of figure out, you know, their own niche or their own little way about doing it. And that's been something that I've really enjoyed about doing this podcast is what I've been able to learn from the conversations and different techniques. It's like, it's very easy to get comfortable in your fishery and what you do and, and not push yourself to try different stuff. And it's, it, I, I, that's why I love, I love chatting with people about fishing because there's so much to be learned from other people. And, um, you know, the, the fact of like my big thing with flies is, uh, a lot of, a lot of my friends will add more weight to flies a lot of times, but I try to, I try to thin them out to where I can still fish, you know, lighter set of eyes, but the fly will still follow faster. Now I still use lead eyes and whatnot, but especially when I was guiding in Louisiana, a lot of bead chain eyes still, but a very sparsely dressed, you know, fly that's going to sink super quick. So I can, a lot lot of times clients just have trouble or, or or newer anglers will have trouble throwing something that's really heavy. uh, If there's some wind and being able to keep a light fly, but then, you know, that doesn't, everyone's a little different there's no right or wrong you know it's that's kind of what's fun about it yeah the weird thing about me i actually carry three different seven weights with three different lines on them <laughs> i know that <laughs> i usually have three different kinds of flies on just different weights so the where it really dawned on me like when i started doing this i just i had a eight weight with when i first started doing the, the fly fishing and the seaside over here they, I did it in Florida a bunch growing up and with my dad at like different places in Carolina. But when I got here, I couldn't get the fly down quick enough. Like, like you throw the fly, uh, using a floating line and a light fly, it just would take forever to get down. Like a lot of these fish are sitting right up against the grass. So that first little foot and a half that you need to kind of get it down in their face, if you're, if they're above their head, it's hard yeah. to get it, get the strike on there. For sure. Not that you sure. don't always do but i mean i don't have but one floating line i don't think on any of my on you know, all my rods i have one floating line wow I think. 
all the rest of them are like either a redfish taper or like a, a little bit of an intermediate, but I mean, they're not heavy sink, but they're just a little bit. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Just a little bit to kind of help get it down there and not resist it. Yeah. What, yeah. uh, what but, rods do you throw? What kind of fly rods? I, I have almost all TFO now and they've awesome. been nice enough to help me out with stuff. And I, I love the customer service. It gets like, I can have something here in a couple of days, which is crazy. That's awesome. Really That's what nice. I fish as well as TFO. I, I, I do love their stuff and really great company, great people for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, I think they're fantastic. I use Nautilus reels. They were really nice. I've had Nautilus for about seven or eight years. I got to know one of the field reps and I still use some, most of the same ones. They're hard to mess up. <laughs> That's the truth, man. When they, when you build it right, it's hard, hard to, uh, hard to break. It's like as a company and it, 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 integrity wise, it's what you should do. I mean, maybe it, not everybody does, but build it the best you can. But Nautilus might have yeah, messed up, messed themselves up by building them too nice and people will never buy another one. I, I've got the same <laughs> ones I've had for seven. I mean, it's crazy. And I use all the time. <laughs> So I, I've got to ask you this question because you, you do have so much gear, so many different rods and, and flies and whatnot for red fishing. Um, if you had to just take one setup, like if you could only take one fly rod yep. f- to do it all in Virginia you know, on the eastern shore, f- as far as shallow water redfish go, what would be yeah. your choice? What would be your setup? It would either be a seven or eight weight uh, with a redfish taper. Uh, and a crab pattern, that's what I would do. And you can't really go wrong. Like, if you do the eight, you could, you could still land some of those bigger ones. You could, I can't, I've landed some big fish with the seven weight. So, yeah. I mean, either, either way, you're not going to go wrong. Um, you don't have to go, like, crazy light with unless you're catching really small fish. I mean, I, I even have six weights on the boat sometimes, but I don't use those. I have one six weight I carry on the boat. Uh I do sixes, sevens, eights most of the time, and I'll carry a 10. But if you do something in that seven and eight range, hard to go wrong. I know a lot of people think you need a nine or whatever else. To, but I really like, I don't know what about you, but I mean, that, it seems like it works really well yeah. for, for that for that fish. Um, I don't think you need much bigger than that. Oh, for sure. I, I'm an eight weight fan. I love, I, I love a seven weight too. A seven weight and 11 weight are my two favorite rods, but... Um, as yeah. far as casting goes, like a, a well-paired seven and a well-paired 11 is, is a hard to beat, you know, rod to throw. I think they just cast really, really well. Um, but an eight yeah. weight, as far as for redfish go, I'd say an eight weight with, flo- I like floating line or, or redfish taper. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but, uh, I, I throw a lot of like Quan style, you know, crabby bait, fishy, shrimpy looking mashups. Um, but, but I like an eight weight a lot. So it's, it, I yeah. would say that's a pretty, I'd say that's a pretty com- I mean, the, probably the most common choice for your, your slot drum, if you will, is, is a, uh, is an eight weight, but definitely the seven to nine. I feel like nine's a little overkill yeah. sometimes. I do too. I, I don't even, I don't have a nine in there unless I'm going like in the bay school, like school, like where I'm going to need a little more backbone to pull a deeper fish up. Cause I mean, that's yeah. really what you're doing. Yeah. And then tens, I only pull that 10 out if I see the big guys in the back. That's the only time I'll pull that bigger one out <laughs> yeah yeah for sure it's nice to have but, a little yeah. bit extra backbone so but yeah even in louisiana i fished and we i would have nines and tens on the boat in louisiana for for bull reds yeah because you, you you never know what you run into sometimes and exactly. you don't want to be out there and you don't want to be outgunned because that's not what you want to do to me i mean you want to be ready for anything exactly so, it, um so 
Oh, sorry. What were you saying? No, it, I was just saying it's a cool thing to do. Like if you, for the people who never caught anything on a, on fly rod and salt water, it, it's a really cool fish. Cause a lot of times I get three shots at the same fish. If you don't hit the fish with the fly or the fly rod, it's right. pretty neat. They're not really spooky for the most part. It, it's a good fish. You can see it from pretty good ways off. It, it's, it's really exciting to me. I, that's why I, I target that for most of the year. Yeah. Do you have, is there a heavy amount of uh, fishing traffic that comes to that area and fishes the other side? Like there's quite a few people that come and, and stay in Cape Charles and, and that area to, to Kobe and and redfish and all that in there, or, or is it still pretty quiet up there? There. No, they, there is a, it gets a lot of action. The bay gets a lot of action. I'll see some people doing what I'm doing, but it's not, not the clip. Cause I will tell you, it is a lot harder to navigate on the waters back there than yeah. it is in the bay. Oh, for sure. It is. I mean, you, you have, you can be right where the channel used to be. They pulled up a lot of the day markers and things where their old intercoastal was. Yeah. Like if you, you can get really kind of messed up, you really can. And it's, it's not the easiest. I mean, I'm. It's hard. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, even sure. when I go, even after a storm, and I'm going out to some place I normally can just roll through, I know I better not roll through because the the sand might have shifted fifty yards, and right. I could run. <laughs> no, so, I I I, I completely understand that. But a lot of the best areas to fish are hard to navigate, and maybe just keeps a few more people out of there, which is really neat. But um, it's it's fun to uh, to have that kind of fishery like you've got to be able to explore and, and untapped and kind of pioneering it from a flat skiff so i'm i'm very jealous and wish i had that in my backyard as well but i i don't um it we we weren't you know the north like north carolina polling and fly fishing is probably you know 20 years old here if you will i mean I'm, i know people have probably been doing it before that but as far as i mean when i started there was just a few skiffs maybe three to five skiffs and now there's probably 70 or 80 skiffs around here so it, it's it's something that has yeah. definitely shifted and changed but um maybe there's probably over 100 skiffs if you if, if you count the greater wilmington area um now but but it's uh it, it's something that is so special and fun i mean it's such a cool way to be able to get out and fish and so i don't i can't blame anybody for for wanting to get out and try it and and uh but but definitely uh stoked about about your fishing and wanting to get up there and do some fishing and filming with you so we'll 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 talk about that some more after the podcast or, or at another date but what what do uh what else does you know the cape charles area have to offer for clients when they come up there um as far as as fishing goes um or not as fishing goes but as far as you know where, where they where they can stay is there any cool types of uh things people can do up there in cape charles well since I've been here, it's grown tremendously. I mean, there's there's a lot of like newer hotels that you can do, like some boutique style hotels, like Hotel Cape Charles. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got Bay Creek Resort where they do a lot of resort like condos and homes and things that you can rent, which is they're very awesome. If you like golf, you could do golf and fishing right there. Right. Uh, uh, and the cool thing about Bay Creek, they've got a giant nature preserve, uh, which they we've they've got ponds filled with really nice bass all over oh, that's awesome. that nature preserve and you can go and catch some pretty pretty good fish seriously yeah it's really pretty neat uh and then you've got like you got a you got a couple of koa style places here you it, and there's a lot of vacation vrbo stuff if you're into that kind of a stay i mean 
there's actually a place, a little tiny house place that just came on board last fall. I saw that. And there's, there's lots of options for stays, lots more restaurants too than there's ever been here. I mean, there's actually a brewery here now and it, it's really a growing place, especially when you're here in the summertime. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a lot more happening than it is like right now. You give it six weeks from now, it's going to look like a whole different ball game. Right, so, right. Is there a, is there a heavy but, duck hunting traffic up there in the wintertime that kind of keeps that area busy? I haven't seen that, but I mean, I see them out there duck hunting while I go exploring slash fishing slash scouting. But uh, right. that time of year, I'm just kind of driving around and I see them out there. But I wouldn't say there's tons of them. Um, gotcha. gotcha. But gotcha. there is a few that do that for sure. Uh, it's it's a cool place. I mean, I, I've been living here for a while, and I love it here. It's it's really a neat place. It's, it's almost like the bridge. I know everybody complains about the bridge. It's almost like a gated community over here just because of the bridge. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, you're you're. I live right on the southern end of the eastern shore here, and I live five minutes from the northern toll plaza of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. I can be in Virginia Beach in like thirty five minutes. Yeah, that's so, awesome. I mean, it's not like you're close to civilization, but you're kind of out in the rural area that has a lot of nature that you can go do. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of state parks here. If you're into that kind of thing, Kitspeak State Park is right here. It's, it's really a cool place. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember the first time I ever drove through the Bay Bridge Tunnel was with my old tower boat. And going yeah. going down for the first time in there with like 18 wheelers all around me, and it felt like it was shrinking in. I, I, I was like about to have an anxiety attack going underneath that thing. And then it finally kind of, for some reason, the going down part got me. I, we were dropping, and I just felt like it was narrowing in. I had no room to pull my boat through there. And I got 18 wheelers like right behind me. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm about to die. But I made it through, and then I made it through many times after that. But it's a, it, it is a, it is a, I mean, if I didn't have to drive through it, I wouldn't. But, you know, <laughs> that's, it is a, it, it, a little it, different. It's a strange feeling because it's it's thirty minutes of bridge and tunnel. You know, it's twenty five minutes of bridge. It's it's a if you've never done it, it I've done it so many times now. I hate to know what my toll fees for the last twenty years are, but oh gosh, it, it, it it's it's really a a good way. I mean, it, the thing is, my wife and I we go over there like once a week, uh, shopping, dinner, whatever. But we come back home and it's just like you're you, it's it's home. It, it feels really relaxing here, yeah. no matter what time of year. Yeah, definitely. I I am very attracted to that area, Cape Charles. When I the times I've spent up there, man, it's just such a cool, unique area. Really, really pretty. Just farmland right on on the coast. It's it's hard to beat. It is. Yeah, cool little town. Like if you ever want to, like a small town, a lot of it's golf cart friendly. They rent golf carts. I mean, it's a cool place. Like Cape Charles has really grown in the past twenty years. Yeah. So, you've not been here it's pretty neat if you don't want to go fishing like it's great for sure and if inshore's not your thing there's plenty of good guides on the bay that do the cobia do the big reds and lots of different opportunities to do that for sure it it is a it's really a, a fishing mecca that i feel like is is really being found out about in the past few years which is cool so but man for anyone that might want to reach out to you and book a trip or talk about fishing with you. What's the, and I'll link all this in the show notes, but what's the best way to get up with you and what's your website? Yeah, You can either, 
you can, yeah, it's just marshmadnesscharters.com or you can call my cell phone at uh, 757-377-8261. And I do get text, so you can text that as well. Um, I love taking people fishing, like I said, and I would love to take, I'm, I'm about 90% fly. That doesn't mean I have to take you fly fishing, but most of the people that I, I have a lot of repeat customers and a lot of those guys are flying. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, but uh, like I said, I'll link all that in the show notes. I mean, thanks for hopping on and chatting about your fishery with me. I, I'm excited to, uh, to have you on again. And, guys, be on the lookout this summer for some fishing videos and some content from up there with Zach. I'm going to head up and do some, some filming with him. We're going to put some dates down. But uh, it is going to be a fun time, man. And I, I, but, I, again, I do really appreciate you hopping on and chatting with me. Hey, no problem at all anytime. Yeah, and I look forward to having you up. Yeah, it's going to be a good old time. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited, too. I love taking people out and showing them around. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Zach. And, guys, thanks for checking out this podcast. And, as always, we will see you all next week. Later. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.